Good morning, and uh, <clears throat> thanks, Tim. Uh, let me pull out my notes here. Take you step by step through everything I'm doing, and uh, let's get started. This morning, I'd like to also do a kind of a testimony, maybe a little longer one, on uh, prayer. And uh, I remember the first time that I remember prayer actually being a part of my life, and that was uh, when I was just about eight years old, and I had lost my toy gun, my little Colt 45 cap gun, you know, those little things, pretty cool things. And uh, I lost it. I was looking everywhere for it. I was frantic. I was getting angry. And my dad stopped me and he said, he said, you know, John, have you, have you checked here and you checked there and have you retraced your steps? My, my dad has a funny way of doing that. Okay, exactly where were you? You know, 12, 10. And okay, you know, write that stuff down. And I uh, searched everywhere, couldn't find it. And so my dad says, well, uh, we need to pray. And, you know, here I am, I'm frustrated and I'm angry. And I said, oh, I, you know, we can't pray. He says, let's pray. So we sat down on the floor and uh, prayed that, you know, the Lord would help me find my toy pistol. And uh, wouldn't you know it, as, as we stopped praying, I looked up and outside in the tree where I was playing, you know, fort, whatever kind of guy, and I had my gun up in the tree. There it was. I see this little glimmer of silver. And... Uh, you know, I, there was just something about that. Ever since then, you know, I said, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter if another prayer ever gets answered. My toy gun was found, and I know that God exists. You know, but uh, anyway, uh, but, you know, so prayer has been an important part of my life, starting at age eight. And uh, coming to the college, I, I found that it was just a great chance to to get to pray with uh, my roommates and and in the dormitories and the classrooms, opening with prayer. That was something I never was able to experience in, in a public school, and, and I just really enjoyed that. And I always found it kind of funny in the cafeteria with, with the prayers uh, there. And you go in and everybody has to pray before they eat. And, and uh, I, always, I think it's so funny because you, you catch a couple people every once in a while with the, um, I'm late for class, I got three minutes to eat prayer, you know, the, like that. And they just, you know, they don't even blink their eyes. And then you have the people that, um, uh, you know, they forgot their morning devotions. And about 20 minutes later, they're, you know, raising up, only find all their stuff on their trays missing because everybody around them started taking stuff. Um... But this morning, this morning I'd like to focus on, on what, I, what I think are, are uh, one of the, the three aspects, the three focuses of prayer. And uh, the, way, the way I see it, at least, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, there's, there's basically three ways we can focus our prayer. Uh, the number one way would be to focus it on God and to exalt Him for who He is and what He's done in our life and what He's doing in the world around us. And that's just a, a prayer of exhortation for God. Uh, the second one would be uh, prayer for myself, um, my relationship with God, and then to also um, focus in on my needs and my desires uh, for God. And I think David pretty much captures that essence in the Psalms as, uh, as it says in Psalm 72 that, that these are the prayers of David. All the Psalms were prayers of, of his. And uh, in the first aspect of God, I'd just like to read a couple uh, one-liners from the Psalms, how they... A couple of them start off in Psalm 48, uh, talking. Of, this is in, in exhortation of God, uh, the first the first focus of prayer. Psalm 48, he starts it off. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength. Psalm 33, sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. They're all exhorting God. They're praising God for who He is. In uh, the second aspect of praying for yourself, the relationship. Uh, in Psalm 70, he says, O God, hasten to deliver me. 61, hear my cry, O God. 55, give ear to my prayer. 
that that earnestness within himself to, to seek God um, and his relationship with God. But the, the third aspect, and, and that's what I want to focus on this morning, is the focus of intercessory prayer, and that's prayer for other people. Um, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer. And that's the very first... Uh, I have five points I'm going to be going through just so you know where I'm going. Um, the very first point is devotion. Pray with devotion. And uh, this is something that, you know, I'm... I'm speaking to myself this entire time as you hear this once and I've been hearing this ever since I started preparing for this, you know, oh, you know, this is tough stuff to go through. Um, but if you could turn with me real fast, I hate to do this, we're going to probably be flying everywhere today, um, but I'll try and keep it simple. Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 verses uh, 10 through uh, 17 starts off, uh, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. And Paul goes down and lists for the church of Ephesus um, the different types of armor that we are to wear, to wear, to wear in our battle uh, against not the flesh and blood, right, but the, the spiritual um, forces that are against us. And he lists things um, like the breastplate of righteousness and to shod your feet and the shield of uh, faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And he goes through all those things. And then he ends in Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 18, uh, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And he basically makes that point of, of ending this entire uh, list of the armor we're to wear and then to end it with prayer. And I think that's, that's interesting in the fact that, that it's almost as if that's the, the method. It's not a piece of, of um, armor that we wear. It's not... Um, I don't know, whatever, the bazooka of prayer or whatever. But it's actually, uh, with all this in mind, with all these things you're wearing, keep this in, keep this in mind that we're supposed to prayer, petition. Um, perseverance and petition. Uh, that's, that's our focus. In uh, life as we know it, uh, I tried to think, what is devotion? Where does perseverance and that petition come in? And and I came up with a, an interesting little illustration I remember reading back uh, years ago in a surfing magazine. Uh, these guys from the surfing magazine went down to Mexico, Baja, to go surfing. And they were going to go to this secret spot and, and everything and, and have a great time. And they met a guy there on the beach. He was camped out in a tent. And he was just living there just to surf. He was totally devoted to surf. In fact, he was so devoted to surfing that one day while they were there, the guy uh, came out of the water after he'd probably wiped out, I would assume, and his board caught him right under the eye here and just cut this, you know, tender part right under the socket of the eye. And, you know, these guys are, oh, wow, you know, you better get to the hospital. And he says, no, I'll be, I'll be okay, you know. And so he walks in. And evidently, about two hours later, he's back out surfing. He'd gone to the store, bought some crazy glue, and crazy glued his eye there. And I just thought, how stupid, right? I mean, that's just... That's insane. Uh, but it's devotion, and it, and it serves as an illustration. Um, and I don't, I don't ask you to be you know, devoted in those areas to that, but maybe as Christians we can be devoted to prayer in that same way, uh, to where we're willing to put maybe our physical body aside or whatever in, in, in an effort to pray. But when I was looking through the Scripture to see what the Scripture said on devotion to prayer, what really hit me was... was I don't know, kind of an obscure passage, but it's in Colossians 4.12, um, where Paul's talking again, to the, he's talking to the church of Colossae, 
and um, he mentions Epaphras. And in verse number 12 of, of uh, chapter 4 in Colossians, he says, Epaphras, who is one of your number, one of the Colossians, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a strong word, laboring. And so, you know, went word searching. And I'd like to draw your attention, if you would, just flip over a page to, hopefully in your Bible, to Colossians 1.29. Uh, Paul says, And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. So I'm thinking, okay, this is working in the same sense. Let's, let's check out the words. And I went and I, I went, did a little study. And I looked at the words, and they're two completely different words. And in this context, in 129, uh, the idea of laboring is to strive, right? To put forward and to, to, to press on, to strive. But the Greek word for um, the labor that, that Epaphras had in laboring for these people in prayer is the word uh, agonizomai, agon, I believe is how you pronounce it. And that's where we get our English word agonize. And I thought, wow, agonizing in prayer. You know, boy, uh, you know, I fall short on that scale. I don't, I, in fact, I don't remember too many times where I agonized in prayer. And yet Epaphras was, was agonizing in prayer for these people. And when I also thought of that, it reminded me of Christ in the garden and, and, his, and his anxiety and, and, how he, and how he agonized in prayer that night uh, in the garden of Gethsemane. Hebrews 5, 7, it says... In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. Uh, that's just that has to be, you know, right there on me. Uh, one quote I'd like to read from uh, Robert Culver about that night when when Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know, after he had finished this whole, uh, I mean, it's a long prayer of of. Um, for the disciples and the intercessors for, I mean, almost everybody's mentioned in that prayer. All the Christians in the future that are going to be uh, saved by the apostles' ministry, all the apostles, everybody before him, uh, just incredible. And after he's done with that, he takes Peter, James, and John, and they go a little farther up on the hill, and he starts praying there with them. And this is what, what Robert Culver has to say in the life of Christ on this. He says, uh, Christ was contemplating the fatal moment of the next afternoon when as the Lamb of God, he would suffer, turning away, uh, uh, the turning away of his Father's face. The Lord God would then lay on him the iniquity of us all. For the moment, Jesus could hardly bear even to think of it. At three intervals, Jesus prayed, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Except for the appearance of an angel who strengthened him, this is Culver speaking, the agony might have killed him, speaking of Christ, for his sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood, falling down upon the ground. He was agonizing in prayer. Uh, but this also leads me to my second point. Not only are we to, we to be devoted to prayer, but we're to pray with, with God's glory as our focus. Christ in the garden prayed with that focus. Not my will. Uh, his concern was God-centered, not self-centered. It was whatever your will is, not, not mine. This is what it is. You know, May this cut pass before me, but not my will, but yours be done. One example in the Bible uh, that I like is, is in the, uh, Exodus, if you want to turn there. Uh, Exodus chapter 32. This is the whole going on happenings with the, the children of Israel while they're out there by Mount Sinai. And God has them all out there. And, and, and Moses is up on the mount meeting with God. And meanwhile, 
what are the children of Israel doing? But they're down making an idol, uh, a golden calf. And they're making this idol and they're, they're dancing around it and doing all sorts of things, worshiping it as the God who brought them out of, out of Egypt. And um, Moses goes down, crushes the, the golden calf, puts the powder in the, or the, the crumbs of it or whatever into the water and they all have to drink that. And uh, then he goes back up onto the mount and God says this in, in chapter 32, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold they are an obstinate people. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and I will make of you a great nation. And, you know, you look at that and thinking, man, if I was Moses' position, that's kind of an honor. Moses getting sick of leading these people around as it is and now he's saying, you know, hey, I'm just going to wipe out all these people and, and make you a great nation. And God could have totally done that because Moses was a descendant of all the people that he promised all along that he would make them a great nation. Uh, but Moses doesn't do that. Moses has a different concern. His concern is found in verse 11 and following. Uh, then Moses entreated the Lord, his God, and said, O oh Lord, why does thine anger burn against thy people, whom thou hast brought out from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With an evil intent he brought them out uh, to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy burning anger and change thy mind about doing harm to thy people. And what he's saying is, what will the Egyptians think? Lord, I don't want your name to be slandered by the Egyptians, those, those Gentiles who you uh, saved us from. Now they're going to be saying, you know, you, God only brought those people out there just to kill them. You know, what kind of God is this? And Moses, even though God would have been totally righteous in destroying these people, Moses had a, had a higher look. That, not the self-centered look, but the God-centered, where he wanted God to be glorified and God to be praised and not put down. And as it was, God, as it says in the text, changed his mind. Now, we need to realize that that's a metaphor, I think, of, of a human metaphor so that we can relate more to, to God in the same sense that God turns His face or, or inclines His ear to us. Uh, it's just a human metaphor to describe it, that God changed His, his way of working in the situation. But uh, why, why would God listen to that um, is a question of mine in the sense of, of why does He listen to those type of prayers where we intercede or where we want to bring our our desires to Him. Why would He want to listen? In Hebrews 5.7, the continuation of that verse I was reading before, uh, where Christ offered up both prayers and supplications, it says, with loud crying and tears, to the one able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His piety. Christ was heard because of His piety. Uh, you might think of that as being reverence or fear or awe of God. Um, in James 5.16, it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. And if you want to flip over there now to James uh, chapter 5, I'll be reading that portion of Scripture in just a second. Um, but it's, it's the righteousness, and that's the third point. Number one, we need to pray in de- with devotion. Number two, we need to pray with God's glory as our focus. Number three, we need to pray with a righteous heart. Our own heart has to be righteous before God. And uh, let's see, chapter 5, starting in verse 16 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, right? Intercessory prayer, so that you might may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a sinner. Elijah was a sinner just like us. Uh, he had uh, special powers that he was enabled with as a prophet. But what James is making the point of here is, is that 
he was a sinner and yet he prayed for this thing and it was in God's will and it happened. We need to be of that same mind where we're not afraid to bring things before God, but we must have a righteous heart about it. Uh, the prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. Um, so God heard Moses because Moses was a righteous man seeking for God's glory. Uh, it was the righteousness that, that caught God's ear. Now, if we take that a step further and think, if God inclines his ear towards us because we're righteous, what does that mean if we're, we're unrighteous? Uh, correct? In 1 Peter uh, 3, 7, uh, Peter says, uh, if husbands don't show the proper respect for their wives and honor because they are uh, fellow heirs of the grace of life, guess what? Their prayers are hindered. And prayers can be hindered by sin. He continues on in that same chapter in in, uh, verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears attend their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When we sin, we have to realize... If we're harboring sin in our in our hearts and we're trying to pray, um, that's not it's not doing any good. God God doesn't want us to come to Him in a sinful attitude and in a sinful heart. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, and I used to do uh, plays in our high school drama department, and there were some plays that I shouldn't have been doing what I was doing as far as the language I was using. And I remember one night standing at the door right before I went on, and. Uh, I was trying to pray that God would, would give me peace and, and that I'd be able to be uh, you know, clear in my performance and everything. And I couldn't pray it. I just couldn't pray it because I knew that I should not be on that stage saying the words I was saying and performing like I was performing because it was wrong. And uh, it, we just can't come before the Lord and expect that He's going to want to hear when we don't even want to hear Him. So we need to pray with devotion. We need to pray with God's glory as our focus. We need to pray with a righteous heart. We need to pray with confidence. Um, this is a quick one. First John, uh, chapter 15, verse 14. First John 15, 14, or I'm sorry, 15. Yeah, First John 5:14 uh, says, "And this is the confidence which we have before Him." That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Uh, why He wants to hear us, I don't know. In the great cosmos, we're one star and a billion. Uh, we're one. I'm one person and a billion people on this planet. Yet, and I'm and I'm a sinner on top of that. I'm a I'm a person of creation who's gone against His order, and yet He wants to have a relationship with me. I don't understand it. I don't think I ever will. Um, except that, that that's how He designed us. He 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 cares for us. And in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. That's a miraculous care. In Hebrews 10, uh, 19, or Hebrews chapter 10, yeah, verse 19 through 22, uh, the writer says, uh, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place to the blood of Jesus, or by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh and since we have a great high priest over the house of God let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water there's no way we can do it on our own only through Christ but Christ has broken down that barrier between us and God he's paid the price and as Christians not only can we have confidence in going, but we must go. He desires us to go. We need to do that as part of our relationship with Him. 
Um, I've been told that sometimes I reach to make points, and this is another time. Um, in, in the sense of, of, of people putting their faith in the wrong things and putting their trust in the wrong things, again, a childhood story, I remember walking home from school, and I used to walk home past this one house. Every day this German shepherd would bark in the window. He'd just stand in the window and just bark, bark, bark at me. And one day I was walking past that house with my friend. And I was always scared to death of this dog because it would always shock me to walk along and, oh, there's the dog barking. And so this day I decided, hey, I'm going to show off for my friend and be a little brave. And so I, I, said, I said, hey, watch this. I was going to make the dog real angry. So I, I walk up on the lawn and I start barking back at him. Ar, 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 ar. This German Shepherd's getting more upset and more upset. And all of a sudden, the dog, through the window, through the glass window, and I'm standing there, and it was not even half a second. It it had to be just a millisecond. I froze, saw the dog coming through the window, turned around and didn't look behind until I was safe inside my friend's house because I was scared to death of this dog. And that just shocked me to death. Um, But I, I, I went in there, and I think... I had, you know, confidence that this dog, you know, that usually dogs stay behind glass windows, at least I would think. And I had a confidence that if I went on the lawn and barked at this dog, you know, all I was going to be able to do was make him mad and that's it. And I'd, you know, uh, have a, you know, good face in front of my friend and he'd go to school and, yeah, John barked in front of the German Shepherd. You should have seen it. It was great. Um, but, uh, you know, we need a, a stupid and silly analogy but we need to not put our trust and faith in the things of this life. They're all going to let us down. Even the dogs, man's best friend, are going to let us down. Um, but we need, to, we need to put our trust in Christ because Christ is the one who, who built the foundation for us. Uh, and then moving right along to point five, um, the last one, we need to pray with thanksgiving. And Philippians uh, uh, 4, chapter 4, verse 6, very familiar passage. Um, go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It's a very familiar passage. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing, uh, but in everything by prayer, right? And we've read that before. And um, the one thing I like to point out, though, is, you know, it's hard enough. We, we come at the end of a prayer request, and when it's answered, we have a hard time following up and actually thanking God for that. And, you know, we get maybe a check in the mail from a, from a family member or something for a couple bucks and, you know, we send them a thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, get a birthday gift. Thank you. Uh, but we don't do it to, to God. But not even that. In this passage, it's not even talking about thanking God after the fact. It may be implied, but he's saying, Thanksgiving, or, uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Before we even bring our requests, we're in a thankful attitude for what Christ has already done, what He's going to do in the situation, because even though we're, we're anxious for it and we're going to let that anxiety go, um, we're going to be devoted to this prayer. We're going to be um, uh, striving after God and we're going to be facing Him and wanting His glory to be there. Um, but in the whole aspect of prayer, we need to face it with the idea of thanksgiving. God has done so much for us already, and I already talked a little bit about that, how He's um, brought us to Himself. He doesn't need to. We're, we're a small, insignificant part of creation, and yet He wants to do that for us. And um, Those are the five things that I'd like to leave you with this morning. The, we need to pray with devotion. 
We need to pray with God's glory as our focus. We need to pray uh, with a righteous heart. Uh, We need to pray with uh, the uh, confidence that Christ uh, has set before us. And we also need to pray with thanksgiving. And so in closing, uh, I'd like to make a couple challenges. And these are dinner challenges for myself in the aspect of, of intercessory prayer. And that is uh, just two things. One, how real is God to you? Uh, are you praying? How much time are you praying? I think in all the different things of life, the outsiders, the, the world, um, the non-Christians, kind of they, they've learned to patronize us Christians and to kind of build up little things we do. And they say, okay, so you, you read your Bible and you study your Bible. Uh, oh, that, that's great. You know, that's, that's good philosophy in there. You know, uh, you're learning the, the philosophical aspect of life. Um, it's classic literature. You've got to even, you know, they have literature classes for the Bible in, in, in a lot of colleges. So that's real good. If you go to church, hey, um, you know, uh, you're, you're involved in a charity. And if you're, you're really being stretched at church and you're talking to them about how you're, you're growing in your church learning, oh, that's great. You know, good morals to live by. But in prayer... Um, I'm not sure how the world looks at that, but, but I would think that they would look at that as kind of a waste. Because, you know, what do you say? You're not doing anything for anybody else. You're not doing anything communally. or I don't, it, It's maybe meditation. I don't know if, if they would look at it, uh, look up at you for that. But it just seems like uh, prayer, there's, there's nothing that benefits from that if, if our faith is in vain and you end up saying, uh, you know, as Paul said, you know, if, if, if Christ did not rise from the grave... Our faith is in vain. If that ever happened, which of course it won't, how many hours would you say, I've wasted in prayer? Um, Because if we really believe that God is there, if we really believe in that confidence and and we want to go before Him, we're going to spend a lot of time in prayer. And it's going to be a testimony to those who see us, but at the same time, it's going to bond our relationship with God. And the same idea of praying uh, in time... Philippians 2, 3 says, Let everyone regard one another as more important than himself. And in doing so, I think that has to be the first thing that comes to mind. Not just uh, opening doors for people or you know, saying, Hey, you know, uh, you know, don't worry about vacuuming the floor this morning for room checks or whatever, and you know, I'll do it. Um, but it comes right at the point of prayer. Interceding for them on a daily basis and praying for them uh, that God might, might use them and, and be with them in, in their cares. Uh, and things of that. So, as we close this morning, I'd like to close and, and actually apply this uh, in prayer. And because we have been speaking about intercessory prayer, if maybe you guys could just group up, maybe in twos or threes, and just for about five minutes, um, I know we're, we're kind of pushing it right now, but just for about five minutes, maybe share uh, a request that's on your heart. Pray for the school that we might be devoted to uh, prayer, intercessory prayer, to, to all aspects of prayer. And um, then after about four minutes, um, Josh Mack will come up and close and pray. All right?